me. I saw that one Brad made the other day, and I was like, man, these people are incredibly talented. It's insane the amount of talent that is in this church, from the staff to the front, everybody. Church full of just amazingly talented people. Um, we're going to be in chapter, uh, chapter, that's all you need to know. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 this morning. Uh, so you can turn there if you've got a Bible, uh, a phone app, whatever you got. But before we get there, just two things. One, we had the, uh, the student cornhole day yesterday. And yeah, I don't know if you were there, but it was amazing. Yes, it was hot. Um, yes, it w- please, yeah, do. G- give a round of applause because it was absolutely amazing. Um, the, the amount of people there were, like, we got there just a little bit after 12, and we were like, okay, we'll probably be, you know, early. And the parking lot was already filled with cars. Uh, tons of people, a lot of people that some of us had never seen before, uh, just people coming and, and wanting to gather and enjoy each other's company and play cornhole and, and raise money for the students. And uh, I think the students raised about $4,100, is what it was. Which is yes. Which is amazing. Uh, so very excited about that. Excited to see what uh, God's going to do through the students like as they go to camp uh, when that happens. Um, also, it's my bride's birthday, so yes. Happy birthday, my love. Uh, I have to, and I have a microphone. Um, that's what you get. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. I'm just going to read this. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a statured measure of Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together is being supporting, uh, in every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. The word of the Lord. We're, we're going to do something, uh, two-week little mini thing. We're going to talk about the functions and gifts. So this week we're going to be in chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Next week we're going to look uh, primarily at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and spiritual gifts. But this week we're going to look at some of the functions that God has put in the church to grow the church to maturity. Because that's what God wants, is for his church to be a mature church. This, is, uh, this section is called sometimes APES, sometimes fivefold ministry. And what it is is it's functions that help grow the church into maturity. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it a thousand more times. Whatever we're talking about, the motivation is love. That's our motivation for everything that we're doing, because that was Christ's motivation. So here's the thing. The church is brought to maturity and equipped for ministry by men and women gifted in these areas and for these areas. And when a church is mature, it's known for these five things. Like when we think about some churches like the, the New Testament church, the, the early Acts church, um, uh, some of the New Testament churches, when what we're seeing is these churches were gifted in these five areas for these five areas, and they were mature. When Paul's writing letters to the different churches, he's writing letters because they're lacking in something, whether it's their attitudes, whether it's their, their ability, whatever it might be. He's writing to correct something so that they'll be mature churches. 
So these are five areas, and we're going to break them down individually. The first one is apostles. And this is people who are expanding the kingdom of God, seeking others, finding ways to enter the marketplace of ideas, and seeing the totality of the situation and knowing how to act. Prophecy, committed to the word and committed to truth, searching for the heartbeat of God and calling others to walk in that same rhythm. Evangelism, calling people to repentance and reconciliation, not running from darkness or sin, but meeting it head on with grace and truth. Shepherding and pastoring, loving people, walking through the difficult moments towards healing. Finally, teaching, proclaiming, and explaining the word of God to people that they might know the truth and walk in love. This is the business of the church. This is, there are some who God has gifted to lead the church in these areas and some who are called to give themselves to these things. And, and we, sometimes we call these people in the church staff, but really it's the people who are committed to these areas, committed to leading the church into maturity to be more like Jesus. Today, I want us to look at these things, but before we look at them, we have to ask, why did God give these gifts? Well, the first one is simple, is to be good. Like Matthew 7, 11 records Jesus saying, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In Luke, the, the parallel passage for this, uh, it clarifies that, that the spirit will be given to those who ask. But the truth remains, God is a good father, and he knows how to give good gifts. Number two, he gives good gifts because he desires us to have mature lives and mature thoughts. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 17, it says, But speaking the truth in love, let us, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. The purpose of the gifts is to help us grow. We're supposed to be maturing. We're supposed to be growing. If we look at a baby, they're, they're sweet and they're chubby usually. And Grayson, everybody knows Grayson. He's a chubby little baby. Um, they're cute. They're sweet. They're innocent. But let's be honest. A baby can't do anything. They, 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 they can't do anything for themselves. They just can't do anything. So we want our children to grow and to mature. Because as sad as it is, as we watch our children grow up, and especially as they get ready to start leaving the house, and they get driver's licenses and jobs and all these things, we get sad. But we'd be much more sad if our children didn't grow. If they, if they grew physically, but never actually matured and grew in their mind and in their thinking. The purpose of life is to mature and grow. And God expects his church to mature and grow. Christians are meant to mature grow and mature, and the church is meant to grow and mature. And thirdly, he gives us these give good gifts because he wants us to grow and mature, and he knows that we can't do it on our own. He doesn't put before us a task that we can't accomplish. Verses 11 and 12, again in Ephesians, it says, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of The purpose of these gifts is to grow and mature so that we can accomplish the mission of God. The purpose is to be like Jesus, seeking and saving that which is lost and being ambassadors of reconciliation. That's the purpose of the gifts. That's the purpose of these functions. That's the purpose of church staff. That's the purpose of all these things. That's the purpose of mature people in the church who have walked with Jesus for years is that you have grown and matured, and now you can lead others to do the same. So what do these gifts do? 
We're going to break these down. There's five of them. We'll break them down. First is apostles. And these are people who are missionally focused, and the church is to be missionally focused. Now, apostles, we're going to do a little bit of extra clarification because it requires it. Okay, so there's, when we think of apostles, we say apostles, but we, t- we think in our brain, the apostles. And that's generally what we're talking about when we talk about apostles, like the Ohio State, right? It's very specific. You know what we're talking about. There's no confusion here. There are no new the apostles, okay? There was a very specific set of requirements that only a few people in the history of the world could have actually made. It's found in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. I don't have it on the screen, but it says, Therefore, from among men who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went out among us from the beginning of the baptism of John until the day he was taken up, From these, it is necessary to become a witness to his resurrection. Now, Paul Paul is included in that, but he's a special uh, apostle to the Gentiles. There's a very small list of people who could have even been considered as the apostles. Okay? When we talk about apostles here, we're not necessarily, we're we're not necessarily, we're not talking about that. Right? I don't want to hear anybody walk out later and be like, I am the apostle John. No, you're not. Right? It's not happening. You're not getting a name plaque. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is kind of a more general definition of the word apostles. Now, I think in in Ephesians it's talking about the apostles, but it's also talking about the general definition, which is a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. And I think that because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 slash 7, depending on your translation, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, I can give these to you afterwards if you want them, and Philippians chapter 2, verses 25, it talks about some people being apostles in a messengering sense. They are, they are called to see the big picture. They are called to see where the church isn't, what the church uh, could be doing. They, they ask questions like, what do we need to do to like, get into this neighborhood? They're asking questions like, hey, what would happen if we as the church would do this thing? And how do we infiltrate that? And how do we move into here? How do we expand the footprint of the kingdom? Those are the types of apostles that we're talking about here. People who are designed to pioneer and to push. But here's the thing. With every gift, there's immature usage of it. So immature people who have this gift are flaky. They just are. They're flaky. They've not learned how to stick with it and push through. And often they leave a church because the church just doesn't have vision. And what they mean is the church doesn't have my vision. So they, they, they leave. But if they would stay and help the church grow and contribute to that growth, they would start to see a larger picture unfold. Because people who operate in maturity in this area, whether it's leadership or people within the church, help lead the church to maturity. And they, do, they help do groundbreaking things that bring the king glory. Churches that are immature here start to abandon the people in the church and just are always thinking, like, well, how do we bring the church over there? How do we bring the church over there? And they forget to care for God's flock that's here. They're often churches that are flashy, all show and no go. But churches that are mature in this gifting of apostleship and messengering, seek ways to expand the kingdom and its footprint and bring people with them. Second is prophets. Prophets are committed to God's heart and his ways, and mature churches are committed to God's heart and his ways. When we think about prophets, we often think of like Elijah and Elisha and uh, John the Baptist or Ezekiel, people who are a little off kilter, right? they're a little angry. 
they do some weird things and all sorts of weird demonstrations. And God speaks to them, and he knows that they're a little crazy, so he can tell them to do some stuff. But that's not generally what the New Testament's talking about when it's talking about prophets, though. Now, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how prophecy in the Bible can be foretelling and forthtelling. Forthtelling is predicting the future, and that's the prophecy we all like. That's the prophecy that's fun. That's the prophecy with big pictures. You want to hear a good, thus saith the Lord. Side note, I was in a church once, uh, and uh, we had been going there for a while. You know what church I'm talking about. And they got up, and they were doing, like, prophecy one day. But they all just kept saying, thus saith the Lord. And I had been a Christian for, like, a year. And I was like, I don't know that's what he's saying. I'm just, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and maybe say he's not saying some of these things. That's, that's the prophecy that we want to hear. Most of the prophecy in the New Testament and in the Bible in general is forthtelling. It's saying, hey, here, what are we up to? Here, Psalms 115, uh, verses 6 through 8. This is forthtelling prophecy. They have ears. Well, good. <laughs> I didn't plan this at all. Uh, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feet, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. They, uh, those who make them are just like them. They are all dust. He's talking about idols there that people create. That's forth-telling prophecy. That's when God comes to you and says, you are living in an inappropriate way. Or when God says to you, I see you and you're struggling. So kind of what like Julie was doing up here with but God and reading that. That's like forth-telling prophecy. That's calling out the truth of something. That's generally what the Bible's talking about. Here's the thing with prophets, though. Uh, Pastor Mike Patson in Florida does this series, and he says, prophets tend to have a stronger-than-usual passion for zeal. Or pa Ugh. Prophets tend to have a stronger-than-usual passion and zeal for holiness, justice, and righteousness. So even though they're not like crazy John the Baptist people, prophets generally, people who are really gifted in forth-telling, make us a little bit uncomfortable. Because they're willing to call it out at any moment. Like, people in churches that are gifted in prophecy are willing to spin everything on its head in a moment's notice. They, they are so concerned with God and his righteousness and his truth and his ways that they will flip over a table in a heartbeat. Like, they just don't care. That's what's most important. And they will not sacrifice that for anything. And we need those people in the church. We need churches like that. Immature. Uh, people in this gifting, though, will post nasty things online because they just tell it like it is. Like, I, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm just going to tell it like it is. I mean, you're just being self-centered. People who operate in maturity here, though, help lead people to maturity and help the body stay committed to the truth of God. Immature churches sit around and complain about how bad things are. Mature churches in the prophetic or asking questions about what's on God's heart for the community and how do we bring that into reality with it. Number three, evangelists. Evangelists proclaim the gospel, and mature churches are committed to the call of repentance and reconciliation. Evangelists are bringers of good news, specifically the good news, the gospel. They are bought in and willing to talk to anyone, anywhere, at any time about Jesus. They are almost always down to share and push the gospel. Evangelists are go-getters. They're more focused on generally on those people outside the church than those people inside the church. And they live for interactions with the not-yet-Christian. They, they are desperate for those conversations. 
Like, you, you, if you know anybody who's strong in this, you can tell, like, when they haven't shared the gospel in a while because, like, they're jonesing to share the good news. They're like, what do you say if we go downtown and find some homeless people? <laughs> like, oh, calm down. But they need that. Churches that, that are mature need that interaction. Evangelists in a church, that, evangelists in churches that are known for sharing the good news, though, in, in truth and in love are known as a people of love. Like churches that, that embrace the call to rec- uh, reconciliation and repentance in love are known as a people of love. They're not afraid to, to share the truth because the truth needs to be shared. And I think oftentimes we as Christians are more afraid of sharing the truth and the gospel than we think people are of hearing it. So uh, I got a story for you. I don't know if it's somebody you know Penn Jillette, Penn and Teller, famous comedian, music magician. I love Penn and Teller. Some of my favorite magic comes from them. Uh, I love watching the magic things online. I just I really enjoy it. I get a kick out of it. Penn is an atheist. Penn Jillette, famous atheist. He's very clear about that. But he shares this story in a video online where he talks about somebody sharing the good news with him and how he doesn't have a problem with it. Like, he's like, I'd have, I have no problem when Christians want to share the gospel with me, when they want to talk to me about God and Jesus and reconciliation and, and how Jesus died on the cross, and he can tell you about it. He's like, I have no problem with that, because here's the, here's the issue, and these are his words, is how much would you have to hate someone if you believed that that was the truth and you wouldn't want to tell them about it? This is an atheist. He's like, how, how, why would I get upset with somebody who firmly believes that I'm going to go to hell if I don't believe what they believe, why, why would I be mad at them for telling me that? I don't believe you, but I'm grateful that you cared enough about me as a human being to share that. Evangelists are just down to do it. Immature evangelists, though, have no depth. They forget that the call is to disciple and grow to maturity and not just get people saved. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and situation. Immature churches here uh, generally fall into two camps, one of two camps, I should say. They either don't share the good news because their most feared word is sin. So they don't ever want to talk about salvation because they don't want to offend anybody. Or they're only concerned with salvation and have no depth. So they're really concerned with salvation, and they report big numbers, and they've got massive uh, stadium seating, and they've got all these things, and they're talking about how many people come to church and how many people have got saved. But internally, marriages are falling apart. Children are walking away from the faith. Finances are in disorder because they were only concerned with salvation and not the 50 years plus that would follow that salvation. Mature churches, oh, mature churches practice this and see it as a gift. The joy of sharing the good news is a gift to be received and given. Two more. Pastors slash shepherds. Pastors and shepherds have a heart for healing and protection, and the churches committed to shepherding and pastoring seek unity and promote health. A pastor or a shepherd is is somebody who who, uh, is called to pastor and shepherd God's flock. It's someone who understands that that, that the people that he's leading, uh, that she's leading, are the people of God. I tell people all the time, whatever other title you put next to pastor, pastor is the important one. Right? You want to be a, a worship pastor, a small groups pastor, student pastor, parking lot pastor. Whatever pastor you want to be, that's fine. Pastor is the important one. Because it's one of the 
hardest things that you can do, but it is one of the greatest things you can ever be called to, is to, to go through life with people. I love being a pastor. I, always have, I, I love it. And going through the muck and the mire with people, sitting and crying and, and doing the nitty-gritty things of life, it's the, it's the thing that brings me so much joy and energy in my life. And it's hard. It's emotionally tolling. It's financially tolling sometimes. It's exhausting. But it is one of the greatest things you can ever do. And there are some of you who, who have this gift, uh, gift of shepherding, and you might not even know it. Others typically point out who a pastor is. A pastor is really not typically someone with, at first that they're like, I woke up this morning and I'm a pastor. Like, probably not. <laughs> you woke up this morning and you hit your knees because you started thinking about the people who were in your congregation and who were around you and your friend groups. Then you're probably a pastor. There's a, a Statue of Liberty. It's got a poem on it. It says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be breathed free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send those, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That's what's on the Statue of Liberty, and I'm convinced that's what should be on the church. That's what we should be about. A church that is known for pastoring and shepherding and caring will have these words tied deep into their heart. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempered tossed to me. That's what a pastor's heart is. That's what a church that is committed to the call of pastoring and helping and nurturing people is. But an immature church, uh, sorry, an immature pastor has a messiah complex. I think most young pastors have this. They take on too much, they think they can do more than they can, and they think that they're responsible for fixing everything. And they start to confuse the following that they have with the leading that they're supposed to be doing, that they're called to shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. 1 Peter 5.2 the flock is God's flock, and a pastor understands that call. A church that understands that our call is to bring people in and, and, and help them grow and help them heal and be with them and not try to fix everything at every moment, but bring them to the one who can fix things. An immature church, though, becomes very inward-focused because they're so concerned with healing and, and helping that they become very I-statement churches. But a mature church looks for the hurting and says, come and find healing and peace. A mature church is looking for ways to love the hurting and the broken. Number five, teachers. Teachers have a commitment to and an understanding of the church, uh, truth, and churches boldly and lovingly proclaim it. Two verses are of extreme importance, uh, especially to me. These are two strong verses to me. The first is James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. And this verse kept me from, from teaching for years. Years. It, at least five, probably closer to eight. I was terrified of doing it wrong. Terrified of, of misquoting God. Terrified of presenting the wrong Jesus to people. But the second is 1 Corinthians 15, 4. It says, for I pass on to you what is most important and also what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
a teacher passes on what they received. So like our, 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 our small groups, right? The ones leading our small groups, your teachers, you're passing on what you have received. That is the job of a teacher, is not to invent doctrine. It's not to invent scripture. It's not to come up with clever and fun and fanciful ways of doing things. It is to diligently present yourself, approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. 1 Timothy 2.15, a job of a teacher is to share what they have been given and give it to others. A teacher is somebody who diligently searches the scriptures, understands and upholds the word of truth. A teacher must lay themselves bare before the word of God and let it burn away anything that doesn't belong to them so that others can smell the fire on them. That's the call of a teacher. To proclaim the gospel and the fullness of scripture is to allow the word of God to burn within you. The problem is, is immature teachers find hope in crowds applause and notoriety. They think their crafty words and long speeches are going to get a lot of clicks and likes. Ian Bounds said, crucified preaching only can give life. Crucified preaching only come from a crucified man. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who died died and gave himself for me. Here's the deal. That's all of us. Every one of you in this room if you confess that Jesus is Lord and follow him, have been crucified with Christ and risen with Christ. So you can go teach. The the call of teaching and discipling is something that every one of us in this room, every Christian is called to. It's a call that all of us have the ability to answer. Immature churches think that their, their teaching is crafty and clever and unoffensive, but Mature churches don't look to offend, but will boldly proclaim the truth that you're not good. You're not perfect the way you are. You're not going to be just fine if you keep going the way you're going. But there is one who lived a perfect life, died and gave his life for you. These things are the things that are markers of a healthy and mature church. They're things that God is calling all of his churches and his church to be. We're not in competition with others. I had lunch with, um, say it again, Matt Johnson. Thank you so much. I am hopeless without everyone. Um, I had lunch with Matt Johnson the other day, uh, pastor over at The Loft. Great guy. We talked about all sorts of things. I felt completely free sharing like the different things that we're talking about and working on and doing because I know we're not in competition. He's trying to do and lead his people to do what God has called them to do. We're trying to do the same. While we were having lunch, um, was it Joe from Encounter? Hey, see, <laughs> I remembered something. Uh, I can remember Joe. Uh, Joe comes over and says, hey, Matt, Mike, what are you guys doing next week? You guys want to get together? Maybe we can just sit around and pray and, and talk and just share Why? Because he's not afraid that we're trying to take any of his people. That's not what we're about. That's not what we want to do. We want to do what God has called us to do. He wants to do what God has called them to do. Matt wants to do what God has called them to do. That's the body of Christ working in maturity. These are functions and gifts that God has put in the body to bring us to maturity. And the good news is, is just like Paul said, we're never going to get there. It's a pursuit that we're always pushing towards. But the beautiful thing is we can keep 
pushing towards it because love is the motivation. Jesus loves us. Jesus is calling us to lay down our lives and to love him and to love others. Doctrinal truth without love is a swing and a miss. So remember, this is coming from the book of Ephesians. The church in Ephesus shows up three specific times in Scripture. One, when Paul helps plant the church. Two, in this letter. And then three, in Revelation, when Jesus corrects them. Because they had, they had doctrinal truth. They were understanding it. They, they, they got it. But they didn't have their first love anymore. And Jesus says, you, you've got nothing in you. Love is our motivation, and that's why we're pushed forward in these things. The church is brought to maturity and equipped for ministry when men and women gifted in these areas and for these areas. When a church is mature, it's known for these five being apostles, missionally focused, prophets, a, a commitment to God's heart and his ways, evangelism, proclamation of the good news, the gospel, pastors and teachers, a he- heart for healing and protection, and teachers, those who are committed to and understanding the truth. The worship team can come up. Here, here's where we're going to close out with this. Is we're talking about this this week, because next week we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. And before we talk about spiritual gifts, it's really important to understand God gives gifts to a healthy and mature church. So I wanted us to have a good foundation and baseline before we jump into that. Because I, the part of the reason, I've said it so many times, and I tell everybody else, people are like, why did you end up at Journey Church? And I said, because I asked myself two questions, only two, that were more important than anything else. Do I want to go to church here? That was easy. The answer was yes. Two, do I want to do life with Jesus here? That answer is always also yes. Because while we are a healthy and mature church, we always have the benefit and the, the ability to push forward and continue to grow. And I'm thankful for that. So next week, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. It might get a little crazy, but that's okay. So we're going to go into worship, um, and I'm really excited for worship uh, today. Uh, in a time of response, but some more worship, and I'm really excited to see what God's going to do. So as we go into a time of response, we've got some people up front who are willing to pray for you. And if you can't come up for some reason, that's fine. We have people in the back as well. So you can respond by coming up or going back for prayer. You can respond by worshiping where you're at. You can respond by giving. You can respond in so many ways. The, the thing is, is respond to Jesus. I was reading this morning in Matthew, and it was, uh, I was in the, I'm in the section right now where it's the feeding of the 4,000. And it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. Mature churches allow people to know that Jesus satisfies, and that they can come to others to receive prayer, they can worship, they can do all these things because Jesus satisfies. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the time where we get to spend in your word and seeing what, you've, what you're doing, what you've said, and what you want to do. Jesus, I pray that you help bring us continually to the next level of maturity, the next step of growth in, in our lives individually, but also collectively as the body, Journey Church in Amarillo, Lord. Help us walk in the fullness of who you are and the fullness of what you have. Turn our eyes and our ears to you. We bless your name.